0: Come leon engineer waste
1: disposal. File section, new employee, six days. Calling Mr. Weber Zone A, 9. Michael Sherbert, go to skeptic.com, which is our web page, and you can subscribe to Skeptic Magazine there and join the society, or you can just scan through thousands of- Sit down. Thousands of free, um, articles and reviews and videos and there's a ton of free content on there oh, just please don't move and um, we have eSkeptic, which is the free electronic version of the magazine comes out every wednesday and you know we have a science salon that we put on once a month uh and we have our podcast you know we do the whole uh, full service operation for skepticism <laughs> uh and and really we're just a science pro science organization so science education you know this is our thing
2: it's a test designed to provoke an emotional response. Shall we continue? Uh, um,
1: because we believe that, uh, that that's gonna make more of a difference in to the, in the future of civilization, is teaching people how to think critically, re- u- using reason and science, that's, that's where the action is. The action time is a factor in this, so please pay attention, now answer as quickly as you can. Hi everybody, it's Michael Schirmer now on uh, Apostasy Now. I want to be apostate. (laughs) Uh, It's a great show and uh, and I hope you uh, enjoy it. We had a good conversation. Describe in single words, only the good things that come into your mind. About your mother? What? You're a tiny little australopithecine afarensis, little brain. Your name is Lucy. All right. Thanks, guys. No, I really appreciate it. You're doing good work. All, all this stuff, we're all just kind of chipping away, uh, and that's how we change the world. I said I appreciate that. I love your show. It's, it's great. Check out your website. Your website is pretty cool.
3: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Apostasy Now. This week I'm talking with Spencer Lucas. Uh, Spencer is an awesome guy. He's organized an entire conference based on his own desire to have one closer to home. He's an avid goer of conferences, so he's somebody who's tried to bring the best ideas from everywhere he goes. And we discuss a lot about what I experienced at the last year's non-conference, a conference for non-believers here in Ontario, Canada. Last year was in Kitchener, this year it's gonna be in Niagara Falls. It's a great location, I gotta tell him, man. He's picked a great location for it. I've been there before. And uh, go to the website, uh, just go to Google, non-conference, you'll find everything you need there. It's in mid-August, so you definitely wanna go and you know, look into where you might wanna stay, what the ticket prices are, and get yourself set up as soon as possible. Check out if any of your friends going, if any of them want to go. I know I am really promoting it. I'm not paid to promote it, I swear. I went last year. I managed because uh, my situation was different to get VIP tickets. So the night before I was able to meet a lot of the guests And really enjoy myself, you know, and and I can't say enough about how positive it was Hopefully I'll be able to get some people I met last year onto the show And uh, they can talk a little bit about their experiences But for this episode, this is Spencer Lucas talking about uh, a great deal of of his thoughts and his ideas I think he's a great thinker on his own, but he's also the organizer of the non-conference Welcome to another episode of Apostasy Now And you think that this thing is God?
4: Come on, how many, how many opportunities has God had to crack this pinata? And I don't see any candy on the floor,
5: here. Okay, maybe it's not God, but... I... <sighs> I know what you're trying to do
1: here.
0: You're trying to find some, some greater meaning to it all, right? Some fate to what went down. But I'm telling you, Sam, the darkness,
4: it's on us. And no one's gonna help us. Certainly
0: not God so we'll have to figure this thing out like we always do
5: but until then we hunt because i'm very much a skeptic more i'm i'm more of a skeptic than i am an atheist i mean atheist is a conclusion based on my skepticism so you'd be
6: better if you were straight yes wow
3: anybody so, would be that attitude is what is responsible for the rise of atheism
2: That's not what Islam is all about. Islam is peace. What is the penalty for leaving the Muslim faith with a death penalty? Thank you. This is apostasy
7: now.
0: For people to get the information correct before they start yap, yap, yapping.
7: Get ready to root for the bad guys.
4: Resist it while you still can and before the right to complain is taken away from you,
0: which will be the next thing. How you doing? Good, really good.
3: So you're taking it easy, not working hard, uh, <laughs> not running around getting lots of stuff done?
0: Uh, I'm kind of torn a bunch of different ways. I'm all over the map. Uh, got about 15 things on the go at the same time.
3: Yeah, well, I can imagine, uh, aside from, I'm sure, having your own stuff, doing putting on a convention is not, uh, it can be pretty taxing at times.
0: Uh, it can. I think we're into the sort of promotion stage. Most of my work revolves around that at this particular stage. But um yeah, it's it's amazing sort of how get, it get sort of tugs you this way and that. Uh um even chatting to somebody right now about a possibility of a speaking role for the non conference twenty seventeen. Oh wow, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Really Really great name, so not prepared to <laughs> make that announcement at this early stage. But uh, it's it's fun how that that sort of just transpires on its own.
3: Yeah, and uh, I like I don't know who it is, but I know that uh, the the year that I went, which was last year, um, I thought all the speakers were great. I like them all. So yeah,
0: I was. Uh, I mean. I, I, I should like them all because I picked them all.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> so it would be kind of maybe surprising if you were terribly disappointed. But I mean, not everybody um, I've heard uh, speak before. Um, certainly not in person. Um, and, and you never know how they're going to be on that night, and or how, or even how they're received, that you might think that they're fantastic and that they had a great talk, but uh, it might have, you know, not sold the, the audience. But I, I was really uh, impressed with the feedback that we got during the last conference about the whole lineup. I think a lot of people were um, impressed that that Lawrence Krauss was the keynote, and that probably swayed a lot of people to attend. But once their foot was in the door, I think they were pretty pretty taken aback by the quality of of talks from people that they may have n- never even heard of before.
3: Yeah. Well, and one of the nice things is that uh, though you, you're often up on stage, so people know who you are, you're also very easy to approach. You're on the floor, you're moving around, uh, you're kind of keeping an eye on, getting, you know, a feel of of how people are doing with what's transpiring, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's important.
0: It, it arguably is important. Uh, it's not done with any intent, more so than um, I'm as approachable as any other attendee, um, because ninety-nine percent of me wants to be an attendee in that moment. Yeah, you know, and I'm trying to play that role um, because that's how it sort of all started. You know, years ago was that. I kept on waiting for somebody to put on a conference like this. No one did, so I figured if I wanted to attend a conference in my local area like this, I had to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I do I do play that role on that day as much as I can. Um, so, I'm not trying to mingle with you know with the crowd for any purpose other than, um, I'm, I'm like everybody else on that day.
3: Right. But I just mean like, it's good for your sense. Like you're talking about getting a sense for how people are reacting to the speakers that you chose and you like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you're, you're there and and not just on stage, not just behind the scenes, you're also moving around like everyone else. So you're, you're hearing the feedback right that day. And people are
0: very happy to give it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, uh, it's overwhelmingly positive. But if somebody has a sort of a legitimate critique of of some part of the conference, they're more than happy to share it. And I think that's indicative of uh, uh, of the type of crowd that we attract. You know, that that sort of typical atheist, the the typical independent critical thinker. Uh, most of us are like that. That's most of us are attending conferences like that because of, you know, our style of thought. And, yeah. that, and that's conducive to being critical in a, in a good way and critiquing yeah. in a good way.
3: Well, I, one of the, uh, I, I also like the general feel uh, at the conference that people, I think, felt that they could basically discuss things and even have some level of disagreement without getting bent out of shape of it. Like I was in a number of conversations and even at the table, like I had a little display set up near the back. Um, mm-hmm. uh, quite a few people would just stop and talk in front of my table and not really realize that I was sitting there and could hear everything they were saying, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so sometimes people would agree, disagree, but no one got like all, uh, upset with each other. No one took anything personal. And, uh, I think generally the vibe that I got was that, um, set, you know, aside from the speakers, just kind of the sense of being around people who generally we can at least, you know, have some level of, of idea that we can express Things from a non-religious point of view or a non-believer sense, uh, mm-hmm. and, and pretty much anything from society to political views or whatever. And most people, even if they disagree, it's not going to be on those bases, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, I mean there was a fair amount of disagreement on a number of topics. Um, and in fact, uh, I don't know how if 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 you made the full rounds, but one of the, one of the vendors last year. Um, was from Ottawa. She's um, part of, a, I would argue, a, a small group of uh, pro-life humanists. Yes. Um, and she's pretty passionate about about her point of view. Um, I've engaged her a couple of times, not, you know, briefly, but I have engaged her about these ideas. And I don't know, there's about it was close to 300 people uh, all told at the last conference. I don't know that any of the 299 people agreed with her, and I don't think it was a problem.
7: Yeah, I, agree. I certainly,
0: I certainly didn't hear any any feedback from her um, uh, that there was a problem. And then she's, I think she she attended both conferences, and and I think intends to. Uh, I think she already has a ticket for the third conference. I'm not sure.
3: I think the closest I heard was some people were confused as to why she wanted to be there, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's just because, like you say, she had a different point of view from virtually everyone there um, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it's good I mean that she can come there and the ideas can be discussed or people can just move on to the next table yeah,
0: yeah I mean I mean if we're if we're not ready to engage people with different ideas, uh, we're in the wrong business, yeah, I mean that, that's that. Hopefully, that's why we've arrived at the conclusion of atheism if we weren't sort of, um, you know, like myself, who was was never a believer. um, You know, that's rare. Most non-believers were believers at one point. So they had to go through a process of moving away from their their, um, supernatural belief system. And, you know, arguably a lot of those people came through that process through skepticism. Right. I think some people kind of get there through different avenues, yes. maybe sort of anti-authoritarianism. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so. Sort of come from it from a political angle, angle rather than than an ideological philosophical angle. But I think most of us um, were believers, um, and most of of us got got there through some form of skepticism. So I think we wouldn't be good skeptics with a capital S, if we uh, weren't engaging the pro-life humanists, even though most of us disagree with that that stance.
3: It's good because we kind of start at least collectively taking for granted that we're right. And when someone Mm -hmm. like that's there, it can make us go back and reconsider like, okay, so I'm not going to say that I'm wrong, but I should at least reconsider what led me to have the position I have. And that's always healthy for any particular view that you hold, uh, especially in when you're in the majority. It's always good to go back and, and kind of look at the, the mechanics of how you've arrived at this belief.
0: Yeah, sometimes we we, we get too comfortable because we haven't engaged that particular argument in a while. Sometimes we, not to belabor, uh, no pun intended, uh,
7: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that really was no pun intended, Uh you know, belabor the, the pro-life humanist stance, but um, uh, very often, uh, because mo- most atheists uh, take a, a pro-choice position, and you do hear the argument that there is no um, non-religious argument for uh, to be sort of anti-anti-abortion, uh, and then you have somebody who is is proving that statement wrong. I mean, here is a committed atheist who um, is very skeptical and and, and in line with um, uh, the typical atheist way of, of thinking, if there is a typical way of atheist thinking, but has a very, uh, is, is in an outlier on that position uh, in, you know, in that community. And um, I think it gives us pause to say, oh, it, well, okay, may, maybe there's a non religious argument to be had let's listen to it i don't i like a lot of other people when they engage um uh, the pro life humanists uh, don't find the arguments convincing that uh, at least they're not arguing it from the supernatural
3: uh, i think sometimes we also take for granted the fact that even though let's say we're we're with 100 people and ninety nine of us are virtually guaranteed to be pro-choice even mm-hmm. amongst that there might be a contingent of people who are pro-choice but they still have a very negative kind of feeling about the whole topic right whereas mm-hmm. a lot of people might be um, they don't feel very emotionally invested in kind of the connotations of of the whole process so there's there's a variety of, of aspects to it it's not really just an on off issue and like you say, we don't want to get like hung, uh, hunkered down in this one topic, but just. As an example yeah. of how many things kind of work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: A... I, I, yeah, I th- yeah. I think it is an example of sometimes w- when we do talk within the communities, um, we're in such agreement over a number of important issues that we kind of forget that there can be challenges to that uh, or, or assumptions can be challenged, you know. And then, and, and I think it's Christine. I think she, I mean, um, sorry if I'm getting the, the name wrong, but if, she, if just her existence is sort of, a challenge to the assumption that there are, are only um, religious arguments to be anti-abortion. So I think it 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 takes us uh, gives us pause to take a step back and and uh, and have good arguments coming back. We we better make sure that we have those arguments. Yeah. We're calling this the panel last week, we got four great speakers talking about those different issues. Right, to my far right, we have Christine Chelmsford. Christine is out in... Yep, go ahead. She is the president of... Canadian, oh, Canadian. She's president of Atheist Alliance International, a great organization that you should become familiar with if you're not already. Uh, she's based out of Calgary. And next to her, we have Eric Thomas. Eric Thomas is the... I was going to say... New, the new-ish president of Humanist Canada, uh, and he brings a vibrancy to that group, I think that uh, is amazing. Uh, Next to him is not a relation, Doug Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Doug has been involved for many years in a local group called SoFree, Society of Ontario Freethinkers, and is the president of Secular Connection Secular, and uh, finally, uh, David Rand uh, out of Quebec with Atheist Freethinkers.
3: So along the lines of what we're talking about, um, we had a lot of great guests, but uh, another good example of, um, for people who haven't been there, um, the kind of uh, great attitude of the the group that was there when I was there, and I imagine will be again this year. Mm-hmm. Um we had one speaker I can't remember her name off the top of my head but she was speaking about trans issues.
0: Yes, uh Stephanie.
3: Right. Um and I can't help but think that maybe she was braced a little bit for some negative feedback. Um but there was I didn't I don't remember any. You know, people just seemed to really want to hear what she had to say. That they were looking to understand.
0: Yeah, as far as I know, there was only one person that uh, had any significant problem with what she was saying or the ideas behind it um, and didn't really voice them the day of the conference but voiced it online through social media in the subsequent days and weeks and um, that individual was taken to task by almost every other person that attended <laughs> the conference so uh, and in, in addition was sort of called out saying you had an opportunity to engage those ideas honestly on the day of the conference doing it sort of behind your computer screen days and weeks after is uh, perhaps not the most effective way you could have pursued that. It
3: it also matters a lot on how you do it. Like if you're criticizing a speaker um, because of maybe the technical presentation because you think they might be able to do better, like productive Mm -hmm. criticism in some way Mm -hmm. uh, is a lot different than just, uh, I think it was crap, you know, type of attitude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, what is anyone supposed to do with this?
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh, as much as we had some diversity of, of talks and vendors, et cetera, I think this year is lining up to be the most diverse lineup um, that we've had so far. And I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, for instance, uh, I don't know if I, I irony is the right word, but um, the juxtaposition of um, our keynote is not an atheist. Oh, well, really? Uh, yeah, I mean Majid Nawaz is um Oh, that's right.
3: Yeah, that's
0: right. He's a Muslim. Um sometimes he gets <laughs> sometimes he gets well, he gets labeled with a lot of horrible things um and they can't all be true, right?
7: Right, <laughs>
0: because they're they're mutually exclusive, but um some have accused him of being a, a closet atheist. Um, I just, I just don't see that being true. I mean, I could imagine a scenario where he's moving philosophically toward atheism, and, right? Um, um, but I'm fairly confident that he's not there yet. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any real value in him if he's actually uh, made that shift to being an atheist. I think, I think he would be okay with declaring right. that position. I don't think it weakens his um, arguments. Arguments are arguments. You don't, you don't, I mean, yeah. I, some people have argued that um, he has the credibility to um, argue these things because he's a believer. Um, I don't think you have to be, um, because they're ideas, right? And you fight ideas with ideas.
3: Right. And saying stuff like saying, I think secretly this person is an atheist. It's kind of like when they said, uh, in the sense that it's useless, it's a useless kind of assertion,
7: mm-hmm. it's
3: just as useless as when people said, I think Obama is a Muslim, right? Yes. Like, yeah. what, what are we supposed to do? We can't read people's minds. And like, if we're not going to take them at their word about something like that, then really, you're expecting us to consider them liars outright.
0: Yeah, I think it's more likely that Obama is a, is an atheist and is not ready to declare it than Majid, um, because in the States, you probably won't get elected as an atheist. I, I do believe that Obama is more than likely a, a very liberal Christian, yeah. but, uh, um, you know, if he, for some reason, it turned out he was an atheist, you could see, well, I mean, most American politicians uh, who are non-believers don't declare their non-belief. Yeah. Right? political reasons
3: yeah it's much more uh it's much makes much better sense to address topics than to go after the person right that's the old ad hominem right yeah yeah. so if if you know you're going to listen to majad uh this year as the keynote and you disagree with some of the things that he says then you know what good is it to go well then i secretly i think secretly he's this or that just i don't i don't get that kind of (laughs) kind of reasoning
7: (laughs)
0: yeah people people like to you know disparage by putting you into a category in that category instantly to or or you know there's if he is an atheist then he's not being honest and and you know that's not a good thing and and whatnot but it's funny but he, I mean he's had this charge against him, so to speak, for a little while now, and I don't know that he's spoken at an atheist conference before if you if you want to call the non conference an atheist conference. Um, You know, rightly or wrongly, I kind of, I build it as that. It's probably more accurate to call it a conference that's very friendly toward atheists rather than an atheist conference. I don't believe in the three years we'll have presented speakers that we've ever talked about, is there a God or not? Um, It just hasn't come up. We talk about social, political um, ideas, uh, really kind of on the, maybe the interest... Maybe how things affect atheists, or uh, the intersection between uh, religious life and public life, and and that kind of thing. Um, but it, that those topics don't preclude anybody for attending. I I understand why it's very appealing for the atheist to attend. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing inherent about it that says that anybody of any belief could attend and get something. Out of it, and I think this year more so than than previous years because we've got two two of the nine uh, speakers are are believers, not atheists.
3: Yeah, I and those are discussions worth having. Different points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think what I got the sense of when I was there, anyways, is that most people, though, like you say, there were a lot of atheists there. Because there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the discussions tended to be drawn more to like a practical element of application in society or in life. Right. Mm. So, you know, has, we were talking about, uh, blasphemy laws and this is a very practical application. Yeah. I know of many religious people. Uh, my, most of my family is Christian who are vehemently against blasphemy laws, right? right. They believe in freedom of expression and the, the state should not be taking sides, um, so you know this is something that affects everyone, and rather than simply just all nod our heads at, uh, I'm an atheist too. Yeah, I'm an atheist yeah. too. The conversation has to go. It has to go somewhere from there.
0: <laughs> well, that's it. After you sort of declare your 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 position on on that supernatural question, I mean, that would be a very boring conference for the next uh, eleven hours and fifty nine minutes. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot to discuss. Um, I, I billed the conference a couple of years ago as ripped from the pages, you know, the headlines ripped from, from today's newspapers. And and um, I think I'll catch true to that again this year. The idea that the topics that will be discussed are really relevant today.
7: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, two years ago, we had um, uh, Katie Gibbs from Evidence from Democracy talking about how uh, science in Canada was under attack. Um, Not that that's not a relevant issue today. Uh, Evidence for Democracy is still an important organization that's going strong and still a strong advocate for those important values. Um, But even two short years ago, it was a a very different discussion. I mean, it was a a different political structure at the federal level. And and, uh, I mean, Evidence Democracy rose up. Out of a need. It was sort of um, the eroding of these kinds of things created a need that wasn't there 10, 15 years ago. Um, you didn't really need an evidence for democracy 15 years ago. You needed it two years ago and, and today. Yeah. And, and that's why we had Katie speak two years ago. We had Jack Pash two years ago who spoke on behalf of dying dignity, dying dignity is still in the news, because we've made that shift in the last two years, uh, to making it law. And now we're discussing what the law is going to look like. Whereas two years ago, when Jack spoke, we weren't, we didn't know it was going to be law, they yeah. were put, they were pushing for, it. they were instrumental in in getting that. Uh, so those were hot button issues two years ago. yeah, uh, And they're still important topics today. But there are New hot button topics today. There always
3: are. There's never a shortage.
0: (laughs) No, and so, and I, and I think we've got speakers that speak to uh, the cutting edge of of what's going on today.
3: Um, You know,
0: freedom of speech issues are always going to be for one way or another. Um, But I think it's really important to talk about the uh, the 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 growing movement of moderate Muslims, or you know, those advocating for reform in Islam, or things around that i mean it's and it's not coincidental that you know that's in the news that's an important topic and we've got people like uh Raheel raza speaking of yeah. ronald that we've got majid noaz as our keynote from england and we've got um in a similar vein we've got you know, Ali A. Rizvi from Toronto, who's uh, the book will be released almost simultaneous, I think, unfortunately, probably right after the conference, not before, but uh, his book, The Atheist Muslim, um, and Armin Navabi. Um, yes. Uh, you know, four really important people that I think, I mean, imagine those four sitting on the stage together having a discussion. I think that would be a very interesting discussion.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they all, you know... If you just turn, turn away from uh, hearing people speak on these issues because, you know, you're not a Muslim or you've, you've got a negative uh, impression of, uh, of Islam, which in many ways is understandable, you're going to miss out on the opportunities to hear what different people have to say who are very familiar with not just, you know, different kind of sects or takes on Islam, but also the cultures, you know, that they come from, that they have a familiarity that, that we don't have.
7: Mm-hmm.
3: so uh, uh for instance um i was listening to a uh, what they call a moderate muslim in canada and his name eludes me but it was a few months ago and uh he's a professor he's been mm-hmm. in canada for many years and one of the things he brought up was he said that um sharia law is not out of the quran you know okay. and i had no idea <laughs> you well, know, and, just... and, and why should you
7: Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, you're not born with that information and most of us have not been raised in the culture, society that we would know that very easily unless we took the time to investigate it.
3: And these are the things you miss out on if you just, you know, turn it it to the station or, you know, like these are these speakers that are offering their time and their expertise and their thoughts for everyone's benefit for a larger conversation.
0: And to make things more confusing, because I mean, most of us in the West—oh, maybe I hate using that term—but let's, let's talk about what we know. Most of us in Canada and Ontario, that's where you know, that's where we're based. Um, unless you're a Muslim yourself, uh, you, you don't know the ins and outs of Islam or or the various cultures that uh, people may be coming from that, that believe in that way. Um, there's there's a lot of ignorance around it, but, and then to, you know, add confusion to that ignorance, you have popular voices that are giving misinformation about Muslims and about Islam. It obviously, it's not very helpful when you're giving out misinformation. You've got people like C.J. Whirlman and Reza Aslan and. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I can't think of the third name, of them. but, uh, you know, people like that, that are, uh, you know, whether it's whether it's unintentional or intentional. And to some degree, it appears to be some intentionality behind some of that confusion. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't advance anybody's cause, whether you're whether you're Muslim, whether you're atheist's or otherwise
3: right? Uh, yeah
0: I agree good information is key no matter what your political stripe is I would I would imagine I would hope
3: and uh you know when I went there there's a number of this, quite a few people I added to my friends list on Facebook just from uh well of course I you know I've gotten some as a podcaster I actually met some of your guests and I have had them on the show mm-hmm. um our our, our is one of them um I had Mr. Deity who man he was so friendly um and he was so gracious. He just came right on the show. We had a great time.
0: Yeah, he's super friendly. Much more friendly than the character he plays.
3: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> much well, more friendly
0: than the Old Testament God.
3: Uh, Mr. Deity is friendly in a sense of a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, yeah he, you know, if people if they if they haven't come before, uh, I guarantee you, you just circulate a little bit. You're going to be adding some people at least to your to your friends list. People with common interests that go. Uh, I think a little bit beyond the non-believer thing as to what you like to do and what kind of interest areas you're in. Um, one of the things that uh, if I am able to make it today, if my own personal issues uh, work out or, or sorry, to make it this year. Mm-hmm. Um then I'll be interested in in kind of getting the feel from humanists, uh, the various kinds of people that identify that way, and seeing uh, kind of what's going on in their their neck of the woods and what their their thoughts are on that. And mm-hmm. that's kind of stuff that you do just sitting at the tables or or waiting for the next speaker. Yeah, I yeah. really enjoy that.
0: Yeah, some of those in between. I mean, everybody comes for the speakers, right? Yes. <laughs> but, uh, obviously, or and logically, that makes sense. But um, yeah, that fifteen minutes, say between one speaker and the next, or or uh, the walks in the hallway, or or over dinner or lunch or whatever. I mean, those conversations that you that you have um, are are as fun and, and important is the some of some of the talks that are that are happening and i know like my friend scott from uh Peterborough, he you know he mentioned you know attending the conference is uh, you know and i'm sure he's attending the conference because he's, he's liking the lineup but he knows he's going to see people that he'll only ever see at the annual conference yeah. you know they're they're from all over um all over mostly all, all over ontario but there are people from Quebec, Kentucky, uh, Ohio. Um, we had people from New York uh, last year. We had people from Saskatchewan and I think BC, Alberta last year. Um, but even people from all over Ontario that you're you're not going to see on a regular basis in Peterborough, Ontario. Um, but you, you can almost guarantee that you're going to see those familiar faces again Yeah. Uh, every year at the non-conference,
3: right? The smiling faces. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're
0: maybe from a smaller community. Yeah. Uh, You might have a small atheist group in your community that you meet up sporadically. Uh, You see the same faces over and over again. And that's cool. But uh, um, there's something I I think my journey into sort of activism, um, you know, we're on a podcast. I think it started kind of with a podcast. It started with uh, the Skeptics Guide to the Universe.
3: Yes. There's a lot that came from that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I I really got into them five, six years ago or so, and they sold me on going to TAM, the amazing meeting in Las Vegas. Um, And I attended, I think it was TAM 8, I think they're on like TAM 13 or 14 now, but, um, and there was something about, I mean, I'm a lifelong atheist, and, you know, most of my family is, and not most of my friends aren't, though, I mean... Your friends are your friends and you don't pick them because they're atheists. You pick them because you work with them. You have mutual interests or whatever. Um, and so my friends were all over as far as their belief or non-belief went. And so going going to TAM and it was a particular big year. It might have peaked the year that I was there. We had uh, 1,200 people that attended that particular conference. And there was something about walking into a room where you're walking into a room of over 1,000 atheists. Uh, um, and for the first time in my life, I'm going, is this what it feels like for a religious person walking into a big church where they know by virtue of the space that you're in, that you're, you're of like mind on, on certain important issues that you're um, among your community? So to speak, and it was—it was, it was actually—I was surprised on how palpable that feeling was for me. Um, and I, I won't call it a religious experience, but it was a—it was an emotional experience. It was a—it was a, a nice feeling. It was—it was a cool feeling to speak to somebody that you've never met that you will never meet again and bring up uh, the latest book that you're reading by Sam Harris. And A, you don't have to explain to them who Sam Harris is. And they've probably read the same book. And you can have a nice discussion about it. So you don't have to have this huge preamble to every conversation that you have. Like, oh, you don't know who Sam Harris Well, this is who Sam Harris He's written this kind of book, blah, blah, blah. He discusses these. There's a common language there that was very uh, freeing.
3: The only difference is that at no point is there going to be coordinated singing for everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that's a good thing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine not all atheists sing like angels. Did Did you get to see, uh, to meet uh, at any point, uh, Emery Emery and Heather Henderson by any chance?
0: Uh, no, I, I didn't. And I don't don't know if I knew them that well at that particular point. Like, I was really new. To the skeptics community uh, at that point, I was not online that much either. My sort of foray into social media and using Facebook for ap- activism, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, came after Tam, not before Tam. T- Tam sort of and other things kind of sort of inspired me to become more of an activist, specifically about atheist issues. Skept- I'm you know I'm really interested in skepticism and and the broader community, but I—I I had to admit at a certain point that my heart is with atheism. My heart is is with religious views uh, because I've I've always felt uh, passionate about that. I mean, I can't stand homeopathy, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I find it harmful and mind numbing and frustrating when when these kinds of things come up, and I'll argue it, um, and it's really important.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lives can be lost or saved based on whether people uh stop and think about why it is that the medical community wants to for instance do vaccinations and, and stuff like that
7: mm-hmm. you know,
0: it's, yeah, it's, it's it's scary i mean it, it's all kind of rooted in the same thing it's it's rooted in uh planting your flag in with ideological causes it's it's not thinking critically it's um you know the reasons that people are are believers in one bit of nonsense or another you know some of the causes are are very very similar.
2: I spend most of my time trying to do science and when I write or speak about science I do it because I want to help people enjoy and encourage them to learn about the remarkable things that have happened in our understanding of the universe which are truly exceptional in the last few centuries and that I get great pleasure from. It is it is not just part of our cultural heritage, it it is our cultural heritage and it saddens me and sickens me that it it isn't shared more broadly. But at the same time, I get attacked by a lot of my colleagues who are scientists, um, deeply attacked. And they ask me why I bother when I write a book like The Universe of Nothing to dilute the message by reflecting on, on the fact that the developments that have taken place in the last century also make the absurdity of religious beliefs quite explicit. And they argue, you know, look, is, should we risk alienating all these people who are already anti-science? At the time, there's, there's too, already too much fear of science and, and antagonism towards science. Should we risk alienating these people by ridiculing them? Shouldn't we better just shut up? Especially if we, if we shut up, can't we build a common ground with religious groups towards the goal of creating a better, more equitable world? So what I don't want to discuss tonight is vigorously is why the answer to these questions is absolutely not.
3: So, hey, did you want to uh, maybe go down the list a little bit of the guests, and we just talk mm-hmm. up a little bit about what do you what each uh, one, what each, if I can talk correctly tonight, what each <laughs> one is uh, sort of about, and what they're they're bringing to their uh, presentation.
0: I think this year probably um, different than the the previous two years. I was just about to say I've given my speakers more free reign. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've uh... <laughs> Like they were slaves to me. I mean, even <laughs> you'll, you'll 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 actually hear it in um, Lawrence Krauss's speech um, keynote address in, um, in the last non-conference. The video really popular; it's got over twenty thousand views already, and
7: uh, yeah,
0: so people will be familiar that um he he was pleasantly annoyed at me for demanding that he have a particular topic (laughs) Um, that a A, he sort of choose that topic early on so then i could sort of advertise and promote that particular talk um Um, i see and and i think usually the stance is you know you, you you pick your speakers and um you kind of know what they're experts on or interested in or doing right right now, they'll likely have talks around those kinds of topics. And certainly that's more of what I've done this year, whereas I don't know what any individual is going to be talking about, even though I can kind of assume the general topic of what they'll be talking about. Yeah, Uh, Where I've been a little bit more, um, uh, strict is not the right word, but sort of insistent that... We have something that we can um, promote as far as a very very specific topic, or the fact that I wanted a specific topic, topic to be presented. You know, for instance, uh, dying with dignity. Um, you know, I started with the idea that I wanted somebody to talk about this issue, and then I went to that speaker yeah. rather than going to the speaker and hoping that they would talk about that issue. So yeah, uh, so to some degree, it'll be interesting for me to see what people end up talking about, but um, I mean, obviously Majid Nawaz, he's our keynote and uh, and I'm sure he'll be talking about things related to uh, the Quilliam Foundation that he helped start, uh, about um, radicalization within Islam uh, and those ideas. I think a lot of the stuff that he'll be talking about probably are ideas that came to the fore with his collaboration with Sam Harris and, um, and their book together. Uh, so I think, so we can sort of anticipate that.
3: Um, uh, he, no, he, he went to prison at some point, right? Uh, be- it says uh, yeah, I'm, I'm he just was, from his description on the site there it says that he went to prison for almost 5 years in Egypt I think.
0: Yeah, I think it was sort of 2001 to 2. Yeah, he was in an Egyptian prison for 5 years in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um he's led a very interesting life. I mean, if, if you know nothing else, I mean forget the book, forget the collaboration with Sam Harris. Forget all that stuff. I mean, just from a a biographical point of view, what an interesting person. Yeah. Uh, Why wouldn't you want to hear whatever he has to say, Uh, whether you agree with him or not, whether you're a person who finds these particular topics important or not? uh, Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, that that was one of the things that sort of struck me about Ian Hershey Lee when I read her book Infidel when it first came out. Um, forget the wonderful ideas that she was expressing, or, or, the, or sometimes the controversial ideas that she was expressing. Forget all of that. Yeah. What a fascinating individual. What a tra- trajectory her life took from Somalia to the Parliament of Denmark to America to all points in between. I mean, then she has a Canadian connection too. She was to be married off to a guy from Toronto, I believe. She never made it. She never made it. I mean, that's why she sort of became a refugee in, in yeah. Europe. But uh, I mean, just from a a biographical point of view, people like uh, Ian Hershey Lee and Agenda Watts fascinate me.
3: It's it's also ridiculous from that point of view, too, that he he went to prison for five years because he had an association. So, in other words, because of his conscience. And then that people would say that he's secretly an atheist. Like, I'm pretty sure a guy who's going to prison, you know, over his beliefs (laughs) is willing to come up front and tell you straight up.
0: Yeah, he's obviously not being shy. No, and sort of uh, keeping all his ideas very quiet. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, obviously, he's 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 always had a sort of a, a political angle to him, um, whether he was more of a radical or now a reformer. I mean, a, the commonality between those two very different positions is uh, uh, being vocal and being political.
3: So, and then you've got uh, now I have no idea how to pronounce the name properly. I'm going to take a guess: uh, Nada or is it Nita?
0: I believe it's Neda, or at least she's never corrected me on it. Uh, Neda <laughs> Tabulowsky. Yes. Um, she's originally from the Ukraine, but she's she's been in Montreal for some time, and one of the leaders of Femin uh, there. Uh, very outspoken. You'll see lots of articles about her through CBC and. And whatnot through print media and television media etc um i've chatted with her personally on a number of different occasions and she is a tremendously engaging uh woman i'm really excited to have her at the conference i think she's going to bring a different element to what we've had before
3: um just even her description again she sounds like she has some very interesting life experiences Mm -hmm. Uh, she's a leader at she was a leader it's leader was okay what was it say here um it's leader was rly rally really i'm not sure what that means Mm -hmm. speaking at a copenhagen cafe cafe when the cafe was attacked by a gunman now i don't know if that means that she was there or someone from her group
0: but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean she's she's being i mean that that that's feminine right they're in the thick of it i mean And sometimes they kind of created the thick of it, too. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, that's sort of by design, and um, uh, certainly not a political movement for the shy, right? Um, and, and 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 putting them in, in themselves in in dangerous way. I mean, people can get quite aggressive with uh, with these women. Um, they are roughly handled. Um, people take great offense.
3: Okay. Well, yeah, it says stuff here about sometimes they're nude and uh, like you say they're not shy, they're very forward. So some people uh, probably yeah, respond very negatively to that.
0: Yeah, and I think of the the, feeb- the early feedback that I um got to this particular point um of all the speakers that I have. Um not that she's not that that in her organization are causing the most controversy, I wouldn't I wouldn't call co- phrase it it's not a great way of phrasing it but certainly there are there are people who are not in agreement with the tactics of feminine feminine i should say Yeah. Um, They agree maybe with the cause, with the ideology or some of the ideology or the core ideology, but um, it's not the right tactic. And I'm like, regardless of my personal opinion on on their tactics, my default position, um, like somebody said. me today that um, they prefer uh, Dan Barker, if you know Dan Barker, ex-evangelical preacher from the States, now um, uh, co-leader of uh, FFRF, the Freedom From Religious Foundation, one of the largest uh, so-called atheist organizations in the United States, so kind of gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. Uh, Somebody was saying today that they prefer, really like his style and they, they find that um, more convincing than say somebody like uh, Richard Dawkins and I said well that's that's fantastic um, but that doesn't really mean anything because you're just saying that this individual speaks to you as an individual right yep. it, doesn't, it doesn't say anything about uh, the quality of their rhetoric right. or or anything else other than that individual Resonates with you for whatever reason, um, but you're an individual, and the person right next door to you, who is a different personality, has a different way of thinking. That that person may not uh, resonate with them at all. Uh, so you need different voices. You know, you you need different organizations. You need, you know, the tone of the American um, Humanist Association, and then you need the other tone of um uh, american atheists they those organizations have different personalities uh and speak to different individuals and that's fantastic and the style of, of richard dawkins does speak to a lot of people yeah and the style of perhaps a different style of dan barker speak to a different um uh, i imagine somewhat overlapping but also different uh slightly different demographic and that's important
3: yeah variety of of presentation and yeah uh, that's that's great why? Why would you want? Do you want us to clone uh, either Dan Barker <laughs> ten times and have them all give a similar, or ten clones of Richard Dawkins? Or would you rather have different speakers all lined up and uh, listen to each one present their own way?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, but there is this sort of underlying assumption that there's the right way to do yes. atheism. <laughs> You know which I think is which which I think is a false premise, there is yeah. no right way to do to do many things like that um I think you do need those different voices, and it's not one is better than the other it, you need they they complement each other and um i th- I think you do need famine.
3: well as, you know what what you're touching on right now um sounds like it's something that I've actually had conversations with uh, a number of atheists and skeptics about um where the way I say it is that as any movement or community grows and has success in, in its growth, there needs to be an understanding or an acceptance, and even an, I think maybe an anticipation of naturally increasing diversity with mm-hmm. the membership. And some people just seem to be completely opposed to acknowledging this, <laughs> get into all mm-hmm. kinds of trouble because then, like you're talking about, we have an expectation of a cookie cutter atheist. And yeah. And it's assumed that everyone's going to, you know, sort of get in line with with certain ideas or, you know, when they don't, often the reaction is very hostile, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, uh, clearly there are certain things that any group or community are going to have trouble accepting, you know, if somebody decides to uh, be violent, for instance, is always the the far far extreme, right? Mm -hmm. So conduct does matter, but that's different than talking about variety or different um, styles. Mm -hmm. different uh, focuses
0: yeah Uh, and i i mean i guess we've seen it a little bit i don't think i don't think we've seen real schisms i think we've seen arguments i think we've seen some division but i don't think we've seen a true schism yet and uh, i'm open to being completely wrong on that assertion but um you know like i said with the different styles whether they're individuals like you know uh, Sam Harris versus I don't know Seth Andrews, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Very different styles, um, and, and some people love, you know, uh, Seth and and hate Seth, you know, as as an atheist. I mean, yeah. and, and and sometimes it's um, a little bit the other way around that they 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 prefer the the rhetoric of of, of Sam Harris and. You know they don't they don't see the the value the same value in uh, somebody like Seth Andrews. So, but I mean, to each his own. And I, I think there's a there's a complement to to that and um that's really important um you know there, there are going people who read uh Christopher Hitchens all day long and just get angry and just um they, they just don't like it they they find it too caustic too blunt too too this too that it doesn't speak to them um and 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 some people who practically revere hitchens and you know <laughs> say you know he he was the pinnacle of of the atheist character you know what i mean he was the best atheist yeah. uh i mean it's ridiculous It's absolutely
3: ridiculous. (laughs) Posthumous. It's It's a lot easier to love someone once they're dead and you can pick and choose because you're never going to come face to face to them and then look at you and say, are you crazy? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a comfort in that, I think. Yeah. And that's not to say that he wasn't really good. I mean, he was great at the stuff he did. But uh, I think we'll probably see, you know, when some of these other really well-known skeptics and atheists pass away. I think we'll see a little bit of that with them too because once like I say once person's gone mm-hmm. you can kind of take their material and line it up uh the way that you'd like it to be focused
0: yeah yeah i and i think these divisions that we're talking about um i mean sometimes they're ideological differences um fine but often it's simply personality differences whether yeah. that personality is embedded in the person or, or embedded in an organization the personality differences and, and different things resonate with different people
3: well one of the things you've you, already been talking about you're doing here i think goes along a long way for that like you have different guests with different perspectives focuses and you're trusting people that show up to be adults and to engage in conversations on these topics in a meaningful way without, you know, taking it too personal or getting bent out of shape, mm-hmm. which I think is, is the way to go. Um, but now, I, I have not gone to a lot of conferences. Uh, I I assume that you have gone to more than myself. Um, and I've asked a couple of people that I've, I've talked to on the show that have gone to a, quite a few bit more than me. Have you uh, gone to any uh, conferences where like a formal kind of Oxford style, the moderator debate? Uh, Mm. are lined up
0: have i gone to no i haven't
3: okay no i've
0: I've not gone to ah she no that's not true um there was a it wasn't a conference but it was a debate and it was sort of that oxford style uh 20 minute opening and your rebuttals and blah 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 uh which I don't like. I don't, I don't like the Oxford style debate as a format. I think sometimes you can have two really interesting people with an interesting debate topic and it's, so it's good from that point of view, but the, that particular style doesn't, uh, doesn't do anything for me. I think it's too, doesn't it doesn't allow for the back and forth and dialogue. Right, you use like a
3: more free flowing kind of format. A lot more free flowing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I think one of the dangers of, of that format of debate is you, have, usually the religious person, throws so much garbage out in a short period of time you would spend the next day and a half Mm -hmm. appropriately refuting it and you can't do that physically, you can't you just don't, practically don't have the time to refute it all, and so I think from, uh, unless you're steeped in this knowledge, unless you know, if you're a casual believer and you see the atheists responding to something like that, and you hear that they're they are they have only responded to ten percent of it, you can kind of walk away thinking that well, the other percent, ninety percent of it, must be pretty good because they haven't touched that stuff. Uh, it's just that you can't get to everything. Um, so I'm not a I'm not a big fan of I'm not a big fan of that. More. I, I want that person face to face engaging each other and almost having a coffee, um, you know, a talk over a coffee, and then we we get to sort of um, sneak in on that conversation and, and yeah. overhear it. That's that's how I would prefer it to go.
3: Um, yeah, and hopefully, with time for questions from the audience, I always like that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, always lots of questions from the audience. Uh, but I do, I I, I do. We had it more the first conference. We kind of moved away from that second conference, but we had two panel open forums uh, in the first conference. Um, in the first half of the day, we had six speakers, and then after, and they all did individual talks. But then what they did is all six of them got on the stage at the same time and uh, presented. challenged each others uh, each other on. On certain topics, and then opened it up to the audience to to weigh in on certain points of the, And it was nice for a question to be directed to an individual on stage, but then some part of the other five would jump in and either flesh it out or. Or add something different to it, which I which I thought was really important. Not it definitely wasn't a debate style, but um, yeah, I think the only debate that I ever attended was um, in Toronto, and it was I don't remember what the specific question was, but it was a Catholic versus an atheist, and it was, uh, I don't know if it was around the question of morality or just the um, you know, is the is the Christian God true kind of question?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, all kinds of uh, religious versus atheist debates have happened over the years. And and you're right. Often, the, yeah, given the opportunity, it depends, I guess, on the topic and the speaker, obviously. Yeah. But often, yeah, the, the creationist, for instance, will just start piling out stuff, yeah. it's like pack, unpacking as if he's moving in onto stage. <laughs>
0: well, I had a mini version of that uh, a, literally a day or two ago. Um, I, I've approached a lot of, um, uh, well, I would say a lot of MMs. So there's only two MMs in, in the Niagara region. Of course, that's where we're having the conference.
3: Yeah, Niagara they, Falls. Um, yeah. On, well, I might as well say what I'm thinking of it. Uh, I'll say it at the beginning of the show, too, but uh, August 13th, correct? August 13th, Niagara Falls,
0: Canada, not Niagara Falls, New York. Right. And um, yeah, it's obviously an area where um, religious institutions are largely Christian. Obviously, there are synagogues, there are mosques. Uh, but overwhelmingly Christian churches of one denomination or another. And I've reached out to almost all of them over the last couple of weeks in particular, and I'm starting to get some feedback, some responses from them now. And I actually, um, speaking of having a sort of a debate over coffee, we literally sort of had a debate over coffee. A, a, <laughs> a pastor called me up and, and said, "You know, I'm, I'm intrigued about what you're doing and, and the conference and you know things that you're proposing, and I'd love to, I'd love to have a coffee and chat about that." And this was, and he must be a, a relatively rare breed because I think we are more liberal in our Christianity in, in Canada in 2016. Um, he was a biblical literalist. He was, a, a, and gave me all the arguments that you would expect to hear from a biblical literalist. Yeah, you
7: know,
0: we didn't come from monkeys. Uh, <laughs> all the social um, stances that you would expect, you know, yeah. anti-abortion, blah blah blah, had attended re- the recent march for life. Um, which is probably an annual pil- pilgrimage for him and um, others of his church, etc. So, I mean, that was that was his version of, of of Christianity, and the amount of things that he threw at me in the two hours that we were together chatting uh, were extensive, and there was no way that I could address them all um partly because i'm not ex- an expert in yeah. all of those areas yeah
3: and that's always fair to just even when if you're going to speculate it sometimes it's depending on the topic i have found anyways that sometimes it's fair to go look i'm not an expert but i'm going to push forward on a wage like a a, a wager here you know so to speak mm-hmm. uh, because it's relevant to the conversation but let's just be clear i know i am no expert on this topic <laughs>
7: <laughs>
5: I've entitled my speech today, Setting the Captives Free, by critiquing religion is a compassionate act. In my mid-twenties, I had a religious conversion, and I would spend the next eight years intensively, desperately trying to attain some notion of sanctity. I wanted to be a saint. In the pursuit of sanctity, I gave up much of the goods of life, I committed to premarital celibacy. When I was working full-time, I gave hundreds of dollars a month to church or to religious-based organizations. I spent hours a day in prayer or going to daily mass, more hours a week on Sunday service, or volunteering for a religious-based organization such as an anti-abortion group, which used guilt and deception to compel women to not have abortion. Most tragically, I spent years learning dead languages and studying a non-subject so that I can better understand something that simply isn't so. On the Sunday morning that I realized that I would never return to church, I woke up feeling robbed, robbed of time, effort, and money. Most distressingly for me was the acknowledgement of how my mind had received and assented to notions that are just obviously mad. I felt like a fool. And it would occur to me soon after that while I had been a passionate and vocal fool for Christ, I had rarely met an equally passionate and vocal non-believer, who challenged me on the demonstrably false and irrational notions which formed my worldview.
0: Yeah, to me, uh, I mean, we we could have gotten into a discussion about the existence of God, and and we did sort of talk about that a little bit. Uh, But I was more interested in in um, sort of taking a step back from that and talking about what we value. As far as, uh, do you value skepticism? Do you value facts? Do you value um, uncertainty? You know, we did get into those topics. Yeah, uh, I think those are, A, less controversial topics. People tend not to get their backs up immediately when you have those. Uh, if you talk about abortion, if you talk about evolution, uh, I, he said a number of times in that conversation, I am 100% sure that, A, God exists, that evolution is not true, uh, that abortion is wrong. I, got, I said, okay, when you say 100%, you mean... That's what you believe or like you're 99% sure. You know, like you're really leaning heavily to that. And he's, he was unequivocal unequivocal about uh, how steadfast he was in that belief. How certain, I should say, he was in that belief. There was no openness to no. new information. If 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 he was presented with new information that would absolutely undermine and contradict everything that he believed, he would just throw all that under the category of it must be wrong
3: yeah well once you start down the path of things possibly aren't the way you believe yeah then who knows what'll happen right yeah yeah i remember from my background too uh that we were taught to specifically not open our minds to potential questions mm-hmm. uh, of that nature
0: mm-hmm. well my um sort of desktop image my background image on my um on my iPad is that famous old painting of uh, doubting Thomas. Yep. <laughs> you know, where he's poking the finger into the into the side of, of, yeah. of Jesus. And um, you know, a lot of people look at that superficially and say, Oh well you, you you probably are a believer. You have a, a nice old painting of Jesus. And yep. no to me that, that that's the a painting that represents skepticism.
3: Yeah. You know I mean? and, yeah and and thomas was not an atheist but he was definitely in the story a skeptic well, he, was, he, yeah. he was given the empirical evidence that jesus had come back <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and and had survived uh you know the torture of, of crucif- crucifixion crucifixion yeah. and uh um yeah and it's 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 sort of what you value and what you're comfortable with and and how you go about things or more so than what you believe in some respects so Are you a type of person that starts with a conclusion and looks for evidence? Or are you a person that starts to attempt to take the evidence where it leads you? Uh, one, One comes more naturally to most human beings, and that is to start with a conclusion and then look for evidence to support it. And to uh, stick your fingers in your ears when you start hearing things that contradict it, um, I don't think that's a valuable way of of going through life. I don't think it's a valuable way to construct a society. I don't think it's a valuable way of making progress. Uh, but that's just me. Um, so even though we had, you know, me and this pastor had extremely different worldviews, maybe what was even more different between us was our. Our values of skepticism around skepticism, you know, that, that process yeah of whether we're going to start with a conclusion or start with evidence. Um, yeah.
3: Well, one of the things, too, about, uh, you know, if you've got uh, one of my thoughts on this anyway, you've got two guys up on stage. We mentioned Hitchens earlier. He was really known for his debates on mm-hmm. many different formats. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting is I think most people assume that because he referred to religious people as his enemy. <laughs> mm-hmm. people would be like, well, we're opponents he's like, oh no, 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 we're, you're my enemy <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that most of the people that you see on stage with him debating he was off stage on very good terms with them
7: mm-hmm.
3: um, and uh, actually there's a book that's come out called The Faith of Hitchens and it was one of the guys he debated near the end of his life when he was already getting close to dying now the book itself, I'm, I haven't read it and it sounds like it's a, a kind of a poor taste for a book Mm-hmm. But one of the things that he says, and as far as I know it's true, um, Hitchens went on a trip with him and some, fam- some of his family members, and this is a Christian he debated with. So, oh. you know, if this is true, he not only debated and crushed this man in a debate, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but then spent time with him and his family on very good terms. And I think that more of us should learn to be able to do that, you know, where we can have the uh, the disagreement, but then just like cool off, Right. Don't, don't let it become your life about hating the person or whatever.
0: No, it's, it's, it really, I mean, sometimes people hold ideas that are harmful and, and obviously as much as you're, you're just trying to be a good skeptic and you're, and you're taking a philosophical approach and you value reason and evidence and facts and so on. um, And you can be kind of dispassionate about that and really, really, really disagree fundamentally with your opponent or your, um, the person that you're talking to and, you know, finish that conversation and have a perfectly reasonable interaction with them in a completely different way afterwards. Uh, there's something different about somebody that's, that is actively uh, propagating harmful ideas because, I mean, you do that. You want to stop. You know? There is an impulse to say, uh, don't do that. Um, you know that that's harmful to society. That's harmful to these particular individuals, or or whatever. Uh, like, don't do that. Uh, I think I think I would have a hard time being friendly with somebody that was actively pursuing things that were definitively causing harm. Um, I like I've had many friends who were believers in. in, in in some kind of religion, uh, very different kinds of religions, and a non-issue, an absolutely non-issue. Um, but they weren't pursuing ideas that were definitively harmful to other people,
7: right? Um,
0: and, I, and I think that's that's a difference. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. Um,
3: yeah, the. I don't know if we can really explain it any better than that. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. You know, if, if you get uh, uh, well, the example a lot of people will know from recently where there's. A really unfortunate we'll call it unfortunate series of events is when Richard Dawkins got uninvited to an event in New York and then later there's all kinds of stuff going on he was reinvited and then all kinds of people were speculating on uh, what had happened and why mm-hmm. um, you know and I'm not sure exactly how they've decided to handle this going forward and what corrections they've made but what I would have thought is after the mistakes are made and and after all the bad, publicity of people arguing and fighting over this has started perhaps a good solution would be to take uh like you say not necessarily uh, a really formal sense but take Richard Dawkins and one of his detractors who's willing to have a civil conversation despite they disagree sit them on stage and let them have this disagreement because it allows the audience often to because they're not the ones arguing it allows them to step back and listen to the arguments, go back and forth, and kind of strips the taboo away from the topics. Mm -hmm. You know, it it demystifies them a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's, again, I'm I'm picking the speakers.
7: Yep. So (laughs)
0: um, I have full control over that. Yeah. And obviously the assumption is I'm picking people who I, I feel are worthy of listening to. Yes. There's not a single person on in the lineup that I agree with about everything. There just right. isn't. And it would be weird if that was the case. Um, there are people that are more closely aligned to, like, for instance, Ali Rizvi. There are very few things that Ali Rizvi asserts that I disagree with, maybe more so than, than most. Okay. <laughs> uh, but... Um I don't agree with him on everything. Right. And I think it would be weird if I did. Um and Maj, Maj is the keynote. Um there's lots of, I mean I, I don't agree with his 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 overall worldview if he if he is indeed a, a believing Muslim.
3: Um well just to be clear, like I, I'm I don't think you're a saint <laughs> but <laughs> but I've seen your style up, up in person and the way you organize um, And I, I think that the reason this is, became such an issue is not just because Richard Dockren's name was attached to it, mm-hmm. but specifically because for some reason they decided to not talk to him first. So even if something yeah. happened where you felt like, ooh, you know, this is really going to cause a problem and I need to make a decision. I'm sure at least, you know, knowing you, you would at least think I should probably talk to the person first before anything goes public. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and <laughs> that's that's the benefit that I have of not running a conference by committee. There are pros and cons to running a conference as a not necessarily a large organization but by committee and um you know you can share responsibilities. You have people who are Sort of, sort of experts in different aspects of running a conference, etc., cetera, etc. There's uh, you share the workload, or yeah. you know, share the decision making. I mean, there's there's many benefits to that, but um, uh, there's a cost to it as well. Yeah. And I'm completely responsible for the people that I have invited, and I would be completely responsible for addressing any issue that that came up. Um, at any stage, whether it be leading up to a conference, the day of the conference or any repercussions afterwards, I mean, um, I would take care of that. Yeah. that being and- said,
3: that being said, though, I mean, like, I didn't agree with everything that every speaker was about from last year. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed I enjoyed every speaker, so, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't if you don't go with a chip on your shoulder, no one's going to knock it off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you don't put it there for somebody to knock off, yeah, right. it's hard to knock off. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's keeping an open mind or not being, I don't know what it is, but, uh, or just being sort of dogmatic about one aspect of something. I don't, I don't quite know what the problem is sometimes, but uh, yeah, I th- i don't know if it's sort of starting with, it's okay to s- disagree.
7: Yeah. Uh, right. It's
0: okay not to like everybody. Um right. yeah, you don't you don't want to be specifically inviting people who are um jerks. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting anybody under that category, but I mean, if you have somebody there are individuals in this world who are unpleasant. Yes, uh, there. Are. Yes, that's uh, and, true. And you don't necessarily want all of them to be speaking at your conference.
3: <laughs> um, this year's keynote is John Doe, his topic why non-believers <laughs> are scumbags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, probably won't go over well. <laughs>
0: probably not inviting John Doe to, to that one, but uh, yeah. But again, it's it's sort of that. Uh, I mean, at least there's an opportunity. I mean, you you would think. I mean, how interesting would it be um, if you did have a kind of a an axe to grind with a with it with an individual where you usually just rant and rave to your your friends or your social network about it, but you actually get to um, be face-to-face with an individual division. say, like, why did you do that? Why do you think that? Why did you say that? Um, there's nobody that's been invited to any conference that I've ever gone to or organized where the speakers haven't been approachable. That's why they accept invitations to speak.
7: Yeah, yeah. They
0: want their ideas to be heard. They want their ideas to be talked about and challenged and they, yeah. they all take away. there's no conference i've ever been to where a speaker says yeah i'll speak but i'm not taking A." Q&A. you know usually it's the other way around I, they're like you know can i keep my speech shorter and we'll do a longer q a right
3: yeah exactly
0: yeah so what, what what an opportunity if you disagree i mean in fact uh i have a friend uh acquaintance facebook friend in um just outside of north bay or south of north bay in, in huntsville um, who is a bit, bit of a biblical literalist, but he loves engaging in these ideas. And yeah. he's going to be attending the conference. Oh, and awesome. I be- <laughs> Yeah, and I believe that he's going to be attending in, uh, again, no pun intended, but in good faith. <laughs>
7: uh,
0: and and I'm sure he'll be extremely respectful, but I'm sure he'll be a bit challenging uh, at times, as as I hope everybody is. Yeah. Um. But yeah, fantastic. Great. Bring it on.
3: Yeah, I mean... And if if you're getting, meeting people there, and for some reason, I, I I just imagine, I this didn't happen to me. There were some people who agreed or disagreed on various things. It was all very friendly. Uh, even if some people had a little bit of passion, I, I think we just all kind of know like there's a thing that kicks in. You're enjoying the environment you're in, so that even if it starts getting kind of passionate, everyone just kind of agrees. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, you know, we'll just cool that and we'll just put it on the on the back burners type thing for another day, because no one wants to like. You know, kind of sully the vibe that you're having that day. Not because I'm making it sound hippie, but <laughs> <laughs> just talking about the environment, right? Yeah. Um, my suspicion is that if uh, most people are probably like me, if if first the first step is if it gets too heated, just be like, you know what, sh- why don't we just kind of cool off on it for now? And if we want online, we'll connect somehow and we'll we'll talk about it some other time. Uh, if, if for some reason both people wanted to talk about it right then, like if someone engaged me, I would probably just say, you know, if there was time, I'd be like, let's step outside. Uh, Not to fight, (laughs) but just to to get everyone's kind of out of everyone's space so we can focus a little bit on what we're talking about and maybe we can kind of get through it quicker uh, and then leave it out here and go back in. Mm -hmm. There's all, you know, there's a variety of ways that you can enjoy these conferences, but uh, I think the one universal about everyone that I met there was that they're all very conscious of the fact we were sharing our time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was
3: great. Did did you want to uh, talk a little bit about some of the other guests before?
0: Yeah, I I did. Obviously, we've You've talked for almost an hour and a half, and I've only gone through two speakers, but uh, yeah. yeah, I will, yeah, Let's let's do that.
3: Okay, so we got, uh, I'm going down your list here. So we got uh, Ali yeah. a- R- Rizvi, is that how you pronounce the name?
0: Ali Rizvi, yeah. Yep,
3: yeah. so and it says he's a, a Pakistani-Canadian writer. Is he originally from Pakistan, or did he grow up here?
0: I think he's a... I think by birth, uh, uh, he's from Saudi Arabia, Um, he he did spend a chunk, his parents moved quite a bit. I think they were academics and, uh, you know, they moved sort of from one academic institution to another. So, he had a very interesting background and a number of different experiences and whatnot, but he's been in Canada for um a good chunk of his adult life um and again another person with uh, an interesting biography i mean uh, you know hearing sort of the stories of maybe not quite as <laughs> entertaining as as Majid's history or somebody like Ian Hershey Lee but um but diverse and interesting, and culturally and otherwise, and uh, uh, and I and I think that plays into where he is um, with his thoughts on on Islam and atheism and that kind of stuff. And I know there's a lot of people who are chomping at the bit to read his first book uh, with the very pro- provocative title, "The Atheist Muslim." <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's almost seemingly yeah almost seemingly a contradiction of terms um, uh, I think it's sort of borrowing I think a little bit from the idea that you can be sort of a, a secular jew or or uh, something like that But, you yeah, know yeah. there, there are, you know a lot of a lot of Jews are atheists maybe even maybe even more than fifty percent of are Jews are, are probably. Definitionally atheist, but sort of love love the history of it and the 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 cultural uh, non supernatural package that comes with it. Um, And I know I know uh, Ali embraces uh, you know. uh, some of that cultural non-supernatural aspects of it. Like he likes the feasts of Ramadan, not so much the fasting of Ramadan, but the <laughs> feasts of Ramadan. So he takes all the good bits and
7: <laughs> That's right, yeah.
0: enjoys them. Um, yeah, and we do, we have soft spots, uh, I think, for, for our childhood um, and our culture and our histories and, and that kind of stuff. And
3: Yeah, why not?
0: And so, yeah, so so... So keep all the good ideas and toss the bad ones. I mean, exactly. and I, I, I think that's what we should be doing generally is just, uh, you know, whether, you know, people talk about, well, that's traditional. And, well, just because something is traditional doesn't mean it's good. But I, I understand the appeal of tradition. But, you know, we can keep traditions or or traditions can evolve where we can uh, keep all the good ones and toss all the nonsensical bad ones or i think we can steal traditions i think that's fantastic too um steal from other other cultures
7: yeah that's uh, right
0: and, you know steal their food steal their music um, <laughs> you know there's this thing you know sort of anti-cultural appropriation i think that's no i think the opposite is true right.
7: I think yeah.
0: appropriate all the great stuff but in the, the, but it is important to talk about the concepts because that's the only way people do
4: change by the way is when, as happened with me, is when those ideas are challenged. Um, in, 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 a, in a way that tries, and it's difficult, we're all human beings, we all have emotions, uh, we all have egos, but in a way to challenge those ideas without making about the ego, but actually just really making about uh, the concepts themselves. And so what you've referred to is, what I've come to refer to as the regressive left. And, uh, and the, what I mean by the regressive left is because there you know, not all people on the left wing are regressive leftists, uh, just like not all Muslims are Islamists. And so, what I mean by the regressive left are the, the, is this phenomenon of people on the left wing of the debate who uh, who see between their duty, their ideological duty to challenge, uh, uh, you know, uh, foreign policy mistakes, American and British foreign policy mistakes, so what they interpret as you know colonialism and neo uh, neo colonialism. And neoconservatism,
7: mm-hmm.
4: um, they see it as their duty to challenge this, and then they see another uh, challenge, which is um, theocracies and uh, and you know the Islamist ideology, and they, mm-hmm. they have come to the they've come to the uh, to the view that you can't challenge both of these together, because if you were to challenge Islamist theocracy, you're uh, you're supporting neoconservative foreign policy. Mm-hmm. So they in their minds they've prioritized, they've said, you know neoconservative foreign policy is a bigger evil organized violence and chaos in the form of military invasions is worse than randomized non-state actor violence and chaos. So we're going to go after, they believe they're engaged in a war. We're going to go after the, this is their mindset, we're going to go after the organized violence. And the reason why sometimes you see duplicity in their statements is because they genuinely believe it's an ideological war. And so it's necessary to even engage in propaganda uh, to defeat this bigger evil that we believe in, which is the organized violence and war.
0: There's a sort of an article that I keep on meaning to write that I never write, but I've got the title for the for the article. It's called Culture is Bullshit. And <laughs> and I honestly believe that is true. I mean, I think, you know, culture is a, a real phenomenon. But I mean, what is culture? Culture is extremely complicated. It's it's a right. massive package of stuff. I agree. Yeah. That, that involve uh, society and and cultural ideas, and uh, and they all come together in this weird package that we call that culture, or you know, versus this culture. Uh, goodness knows what my culture is. I suppose <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I I my heritage is Welsh. I grew up in Wales, but obviously there's a Canadian influence. Obviously there's a, um, a European. Sort of flavor and influence. I mean, I grew up on sort of boiled vegetables and, and meat. You know, the meat to veg kind of dinner. You know, yeah. that,
7: uh,
0: a big part of my of my background. Uh, but my favorite food is curry. Like, who cares? Because yeah. uh, curry's better than than meat and two veg. You know what I mean?
3: Wars have been fought for less than debate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, to me, what's it's at some point depending on what you want to advance or what you're talking about uh packaging something under culture doesn't make any sense whatsoever right. uh it doesn't mean it's not a real thing in some sense but it, it it doesn't make sense when you're when you're talking about whether something's sort of good or bad because you have to you know if i say this culture's uh, this culture's good this yeah. culture's bad because you hear people talk in a very sort of black and white way uh, uh and i'm like well what do you mean like the music, the food, the religion, the language, the, the million other things that get sort kind of caught under that umbrella of that particular individual's culture. I mean, uh, most of it's benign. Most of it's interesting. Most of it's good. Uh, and some of it's downright evil and terrible. Um, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater.
3: It's a it's a testament to something being great about someone's culture when other cultures yeah. uh, embrace it. Yeah, I mean, is my culture good?
0: Well, it depends. It depends on what bit of it you want to talk about. You know, um, I'm thinking of uh, the movie Fish Called Wanda, where uh, is it Kevin Kline, the uh, the actor? Yeah. Again, yeah, he's the American in that movie, and he has that joke at you know toward the end of the movie where he's uh, got somebody sort of uh, tied up. He's walking around the room, and he's got um, fish and chips, and he's holding up a chip. He goes, "You know, this is, you know, this is British cuisine. This is the ultimate of British food. The the chip. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, how boring is that? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, is is the chip British? Like, Who cares? <laughs> you know, do you like it? Do you not like it? You know, teach his own. Um, I mean, I think you have to talk about the the bit in it that you're really talking about when you when you say this culture is bad, what do you mean by that? You probably mean that there's an aspect of it that you don't like. Well, then throw out the whole conversation about culture and talk about the aspect. Talk about the idea, the behavior that you don't like. Uh, it it muddies the waters instantly by lumping it into a, an entire culture It is mostly benign, sometimes interesting, sometimes good, and maybe a little bit evil um it, so yeah so there, there's an article that maybe will be written one day under the title of culture's bullshit
3: yeah. uh well speaking of bullshit scott clifton is the next one on the list yes good apparently by the the name on youtube theoretical bullshit <laughs>
0: Yeah, this guy he he obviously I mean I I I think from from what I've seen of him in other uh conferences and whatnot I mean he's probably I don't want to speak for him but probably going to be sheepish say standing next to a philosopher standing next to say Christopher DiCarlo, who's you know PhD Harvard educated um, um you know, teaches ethics of science and, um, and whatnot. Um, but hearing hearing Scott Clifton, who's an actor, you know, a soap opera actor by trade, uh, talk about these philosophical ideas, the guy thinks really critically. He's, and, he, and, he, and he has a nice style to it. Yeah. Um, so what, what I really appreciate from Scott is sort of that uh, he's absolutely genuine. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And... His again, his background it could not be more different. And you talk about Ali, imagine even like Netta, he uh, got Scott Clifton, you know, living in LA, uh, uh winning awards for acting, yeah. in, uh, the bold and the beautiful.
3: Yeah, um, there's in, th- three different soap operas listed here alone. Yeah, uh, in his acting credentials.
0: Yeah, I think he's most sort of well known for his sort of current. Character, I think he's he's been there for a little while. And he's won some awards with Bold and Beautiful and whatnot. I think yeah. he's one of the premier uh, actors on that show. Um, he he doesn't. I mean, you you can kind of see why Ali writes the book, the atheist Muslim, because of his background and uh, you know he must be, he must get certain questions all the time. You see why Majid does what he does because of the path that he took, um, and and so on. But Scott's very different in the sense that he lives arguably uh a, a very nice and comfortable american lifestyle why why is he doing a uh a youtube vlog called theoretical bullshit absolutely doesn't have to do it no uh, he obviously does it for the love of it he obviously does it because he fa- he feels that there's a value in doing it and that that really that piques my interest
3: well also i can say from the point of view uh he's Obviously, got a good deal of success, but as a an actor who's doing drama, mm-hmm. uh, having a channel like that where you're questioning things that some people might t- step on some people's toes, I imagine, mm-hmm. um, is some actors wouldn't do it. They would see it as a risk to their career that one day could come back to haunt them. So that's that again is very uh, genuine and honest of him to do that. Uh, I would think maybe differently if he was a stand up comic. There tends to be money in being provocative. Yes. But for a dramatic actor, usually you will find. If you have um, the not, they'll usually pick a political thing to stand behind, but on a wide variety, most of them, like uh, we'll just say, um, I don't know, let's think of an actor off the top of my head, Brad Pitt. Yeah. I know very little about his wide variety of potential beliefs in political issues and social issues. There's a few he's come up publicly with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not even the most conservative of, mm-hmm. of actors that are at a, a, a level of drama that, uh, that Clifton is at. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah, there's there's very little um, upside to doing it. He's not going to sort of win friends among his colleagues right. for doing it, and there's a potential downside to it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's one of the questions I want to sort of ask him. Is I don't I don't know how religious his um, circle is, you know, so yeah, ooh, ooh, I, I'm curious, like, what do his fellow actors, they must know. He, he, what's interesting is he doesn't, um, he uses his um, uh, Twitter account, his personal Twitter account, to talk about Bold and the Beautiful and theoretical bullshit. They're the same account. That's, that's interesting to me that he didn't create a separate account for it. Um, and there are people who obviously follow him largely because of his role in The Bold and the Beautiful. And I I wonder sometimes that your average soap opera fan, you know, following, um, you know, this heartthrob um, actor, and then he, he starts talking about these really deep philosophical ideas, like, why is he doing that? Why is he saying that? It's, good. it's got to be jarring, even if they kind of agree with him on these kinds of things. So I think it's really interesting that he's doing it, and he's doing it quite openly. He could sort of hide under the moniker of theoretical bullshit and have a separate Twitter account, but he didn't. So I find that uh, I find that pretty interesting.
3: My, my schooling background is uh, I went to university for theatre, so oh, I cool. still yeah, and even though I didn't continue to pursue that, I still have some friends who do. Um, and like I that's that's the thing that strikes me about this that kind of a name and this type of a, of a, an approach. Uh, that's really neat. That really strikes me as cool. Uh, most of my friends who've had some level of success, they keep their they keep their controversial, potentially controversial stances to themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe so. maybe this is a good segue to talk about uh, uh, Enya, Pakistani Canadian illustrator blogger um, who uh, writes under a blog called Nice Mangoes and has a pretty strong yeah. Twitter account called Nice Mangoes in she's she's toronto-based
3: and it's, uh, for anyone listening it's and it doesn't look at the name it's e-i-y-n-a-h it's not the singer Enya. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: and um so we were just talking about sort of scott and he could very easily have a different persona that pursues you know the theoretical bullshit side of it and then a very it, it, a, a different persona and account that talks about his work uh, with Bold and Beautiful. And Anya has decided and for her own personal reasons uh, to be um, anonymous. Um, I, I, again, not wanting to speak for my speakers, but um, she obviously has her reasons for that and I think some of those reasons are tied into the blowback that she gets for, for being a woman okay. writing very bluntly about um, I mean, think about it. What, what what don't you want to talk about? Sex, religion, and politics, right? Uh, and, and that's what she talks about, sex, religion, yeah. and politics. Um, so I think she, she gets her Ton of negative blowback about that, and has determined that it's probably in her best interest to remain anonymous. So well, we're, that, we're we're in we're in negotiation about like how are we going to uh, have the most impactful speech from her at, at the conference because uh, she wants to maintain her anonymity. Okay. um uh, there at the conference so we're discussing sort of different ways of going by that the most easy and logical ways to have her skyped in
3: that would yeah that would seem uh just make sure that uh, whoever your technical guy is that they're not known for going to sleep on the job
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it's very very different from from scott and and whatnot um from from that perspective
3: but it says uh pakistan is that her background is actually she grew up in pakistan
0: she did yeah. yeah,
3: so that, that's still, as far as I understand, very conservative there.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, no, no yeah, most, most, most definitely. Um, uh, Ali's Ali's wife, um, Elishba, who uh, she, she's she's has a similar background, I guess, to to Anya. Um She's she's Pakistani and and um, talks about sexuality and feminism and Islam and, and all that kind of stuff too. So. Um, uh, people have sort of spoken out about it in a more open and public way, but um, you know we don't know what the personal experiences of, of these different people are and, and yeah. why they've you know ended up making the decisions that they've made. But um, those those are for them to make; they're they're in control of those decisions. So uh, yeah, so we're we we want the most impactful speech from her as possible uh, in a way that. Uh, that pre- it keeps her safe and protects her identity,
3: yeah, that should be interesting,
0: yeah, and I know she's she's been sort of sought after um uh, to do some really uh big appearances in american media and and such. um I think what captured a lot of people's attention was her article, her sort of open letter to um uh Ben affleck that uh um, that that came after the the show that he did on right. Bill Maher yeah. uh with with Sam Harris i think that um 911 got a lot of people that were talking about certain issues privately to talk about them publicly
7: yeah
0: and uh not that Ben Affleck is a 911 but there's a number of individuals that uh changed the course of their trajectory because of that interaction between him and Sam Harris uh one of our other speakers uh quotes that interaction on the Bill Maher show as uh, an impetus to to further her work in these areas, and that's Rahil Raza.
3: Okay. Uh, President of the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow?
0: Yes. And actually subsequent to the work that she's done uh, since then, uh, funny enough, has caught the attention of, of Bill Maher. And she recently, last month, did um, a really powerful um, uh, presentation on real time with bill maher it's, it's worth checking out if if you haven't seen it already uh she sits alongside um another atheist hero of mine sarah silverman okay yeah who's on my wish list for a non-conference in in the future
3: she's uh is very funny oh yeah
0: scathing scathingly funny <laughs> um yeah, I mean that she is as funny and as direct and as blunt in in a wonderful way as Ricky Gervais and uh George Carlin and and all those other greats sort of atheist comedians. Yeah, I really really yeah.
3: appreciate her work. One of the nice things about comics is when you can hear them actually do like an actual presentation on a topic is that so often with comics when they're telling jokes I can't always tell whether they're whether they like are with the person they're joking against sarcastically or if they're against (laughs) them. Like really good joke tellers, sometimes it's very hard to kind of get a beat on.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, in some sense, um, uh, comedians that are atheists rather than atheist comedians um, that that sometimes either uh, branch into religion as part of their comedic act in some ways have led the way on this discussion. Yeah, Uh, George Carlin was talking. Oh yeah, In a scathing way about religion, you know. Long before Richard Dawkins' book came out, obviously, um, there's a sort of a permission that we give uh, comedians to 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 tread into these topics that are uncomfortable for many to hear. I think I think I think we underestimate the the power and the value that they add to this conversation.
3: Yeah, so that's another guest that's going to be great. And like you say, she's been on Bill Maher. So mm-hmm. she's someone obviously that is not going to be timid in front of an audience. <laughs>
0: no, she's she's done a ton of talks. She's done a ton of TV. Um, I think her appearance on, on uh, Real Time uh, really elevated her status to, to more of a broader audience. Uh, but she's been speaking out about these issues Long before it was in vogue, if if it is in the vogue today, As certainly we're hearing more from um, uh, liberal Muslims, um, we're hearing more from them. We're he- they're, they're, they've got a louder voice now. Um, funny enough, I think one of the reasons that they've they've gotten such a, a large voice now is is because of atheists or because of some atheists. Yeah. So you know, um people like Raheel Raza you know, were invited onto uh real time with atheist Bill Maher. And uh, I, I think Majid uh, benefited um by collaborating with Sam Harris on on their book, uh raising his his profile, I think in a in a in a very important way. I mean most atheists I think really back somebody like Raheel and and um Imagine, even though we obviously don't believe in many of the things that they believe in. Uh, right. yeah. we, we still think that they have uh, an important voice that, that, that needs to be heard, and sometimes it's atheist conferences and atheist hosts of TV shows and atheist authors that are, that are giving uh, these people uh, a space to speak. It, I mean, there's an irony there in that.
3: Yeah.
6: Quite frankly... You know, I'm lucky enough to be gifted with a decent sense of humor, and that's my in. There are people like uh, Richard or Christopher Hitchens who come at it at a different angle, and I, I, I value all of those. Any way we can hit people with the reality of how terrible this stuff is or can be, because we are fortunate enough to live, who was it that said we're living in the Disneyland compared to, was that Doug? Um... We are living in Disneyland compared to situations all over the world, or just take us back 400 years in, in history, and it's a very different game. And we've made progress largely because we have focused on this amazing thing that we we discovered and we created called science, which has changed the world in innumerable and immeasurable ways that we have to not take for granted because it is the foundation of everything we have in the western liberal de- democratic society
3: um you've got um catherine dunphy is another guest mm-hmm. and um she's a founding member uh former executive director of the clergy project which if i remember correctly now i haven't heard anyone talk about it for a while is an mm-hmm. awesome project that helps people who have been ministers but don't know where to go when they've decided to leave the faith. Uh, basically, to talk about even the possibility of leaving the faith. Is that what I, am I thinking of the right thing there?
0: You are. You are definitely thinking of the right thing. So she was actually one of the first uh, sort of clergy members that were that went through the program, and then obviously uh, at some point afterwards um, became uh, its executive director and. For a stretch of time. Uh, She lives in Toronto, Ontario. Um, It was the the project was started by, well, a number of different sort of people influenced it. Um, uh, Richard Dawkins had a hand in it. Dan Barker had a a huge hand in it. Um, It started with with uh, some some research into that area, Um, you know, by people like uh, Daniel Dennett um and linda lascola in the united states uh, so i think it got a lot of attention when the book came out and when the project was new and i i haven't heard a ton of it sort of in the forefront of, of um of discussions lately so it'll be nice to have her sort of re-energize that conversation so i think we've sort of put it on the back burner a little bit but it's, it, as far as i know it's still going strong and um it, it I mean, just like the, the research that sort of inspired it, um, yeah. I mean, the idea that you have people that have come to the conclusion that there is no God while ministering right. is fascinating. Um, and how, how many churches, how many synagogues, how many mosques are people attending on a weekly basis, completely yeah. unwitting to the fact that the person who's preaching before them doesn't
3: believe it. Uh I heard them talk about this periodically on uh this was quite some time ago. Uh, I think it was Free Thought Radio podcast from uh Freedom from religion foundation that's their mm-hmm. podcast that they would do. Um and anyways, I you know, I I left the faith but uh, I had not even considered what it would be like for a minister to leave. (laughs) Um, It's really something if you stop and think about it, like your family identity is usually woven into it, your community, your career. These are like the highest stakes Mm -hmm. in, in society and in life that you can have. So for people to like, you know, find a way to try and help these people is that's really important, I
0: think. Wow. I just go back to my conversation with the the pastor a couple of days ago at the local Tim Hortons in in Niagara Falls, and and, and, um, I can't imagine that he's very close to atheism right now. (laughs) Uh, But if he ever were to sort of get there, or if he ever had sort of like a major doubt that just wouldn't go away and... And it sort of led him on that path um, emotionally. That would be devastating. He has certainly immersed himself in that culture. Um, it, it would. I mean, is probably is every waking moment is related to his religion in some aspect or another. The ties that he has with his wife uh, very much centered probably around church and church activities and yeah. You know, Imagine all of his friends are probably part of that community. His job is part of that community. Every aspect of his identity is tied in directly or indirectly into that community. So if he were to ideologically move away from that, uh, it would compromise every important aspect of what we value as humans with, you know, social relationships, uh, work uh, that, you know, things that that do easily get um, tied into what makes us us and um, potentially giving all that away uh, voluntarily or not. Many, many, many people who kind of go through that are relatively instantly shunned from you know, by their spouse, by their children, by their 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 church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They they yeah. can quite literally lose everything overnight, and uh, I, I can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, and 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 and, and imagining a little bit what it would be like, you could see why something like the clergy project is a much needed venture to help people with that transition. And that's well, really what the clergy project
3: is about. My uh, my brother is actually a minister.
1: Mm-hmm. so
3: um, you know sometimes it just occurs to my mind when we're having our discussions I I really try my best not to press the issue of um, atheism versus theism uh, simply because <laughs> I can't help it I am mm-hmm. biased in the fact that I know what the stakes would be he's the type of person that if he consciously began to doubt and it led him to losing his faith he would not be able to conscious, conscientiously remain a minister mm-hmm. and then see, uh, even though I think it's better people to know the truth, uh, I I just know like that kind of thing can be disaster for a person's personal life, and uh, so I guess it's a respect for the weight that that carries. For me to leave was hard enough, um, but if I had been a minister and my you know I'd been married, had children uh, for years in the ministry as a as a preacher, wow, like mm-hmm. yeah, the Seth that Catherine is you know helped start there is uh that's yeah incredibly important
0: yeah it is it's, it's a massively important venture and i think um from an individual point of view like helping those individual pastors and and uh, preachers etc uh deal with un- unimaginable difficulties um so it's, it's a very sort of practical and pragmatic service. Um, but I, I think there's a larger question. The fact that there's a need for it is interesting. We're not talking about one individual that's having a hard time. Right. We're talking about hundreds. Yep. And like, how well known is the clergy project to the average clergy? Uh, probably not. It's not necessarily a household organization. And um, I, I can imagine that there are Thousands of of preachers who uh, are certainly questioning their faith seriously, if they haven't completely left it altogether, uh, and don't know what to do because they don't they don't know that the clergy pro- project exists.
3: So, so Christopher DiCarlo, mm-hmm. and well, the only other one after him on the list is uh, Armin Navabi. Is he coming back this year?
0: Yeah, he is. Awesome. Uh, yeah, he was a sort of a later. Addition, uh, um, yeah, I really, I mean, I knew uh, Armin a little bit prior to his uh, Im- involvement in the last conference. Um, he's I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but he's going to have a slightly different involvement this particular year. But we're really excited to have him back. Um, yeah, and Christopher, Christopher is, fu- it's funny. I mean, he's he's local in the sense that you know he's from Southern Ontario. <clears throat> I've known him for. number of years uh, much prior to the conference and whatnot and i I, i've almost i feel terrified i've almost taken my friendship with christopher for for granted because (laughs) arguably he should have been the the first uh speaker at the the first non-conference uh and his involvement was um tangential in the sense that he was a moderator for one of the panels and he did a great job and did did it graciously and whatnot and and then his involvement Um, last year was more of he was going to he was actually going to do a bit of music and because he he plays in a band and he's uh,
7: um,
0: like Ali Um, he's not just a professional and written books about atheist related topics but he's also a musician and uh, um, and that ended up sort of not transpiring but he he uh, attended the conference last year yeah as my guest and and uh, it was, it's, it's been uh, far too long but I I formally invited him to speak this year
3: Now he, it says that he's the developer of the first pilot project in Canada to introduce standardized critical thinking into the Ontario high school curriculum wow
0: yeah i'm uh, i'm impressed with with Christopher on a number of different levels. Um, he, he's, he's one of those philosophers that I really respect. You know what I mean? Um, uh, this, this guy is absolutely hundred percent cogent in his thinking. I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether you agree with him or not. Um, uh, it's, it's, he's so easily understood. And I think I think that's hard to do when you're talking about certain topics. This guy has a clarity of thought yeah. uh, that I think is easy to take for granted. That's really hard to do. And so I appreciate him on on that level. But I'm blown away by his initiative that he wants to he wants to do things. He wants to change things. He's he's not just writing books, but he's actively involved in and, and uh the project, I don't know how long the idea goes back, but I know he was, I, I had heard him talking about it uh, probably two years ago. Uh, and I believe last September was the first time it got implemented. So the idea that uh, I think they were, I don't know if it was two grades. I think it was, I'm remembering right, grade 10, maybe a grade 12 class as well. Um, a couple of schools, high schools, obviously in southern Ontario were chosen um, and he introduced a critical thinking class, a critical thinking curriculum and not the kind of critical thinking that most schools give lip service to because I mean I've been connected to the education system uh, in a number of different ways over the last couple of decades and uh, uh, certainly not an educator and not don't completely have an inside view on it but I I think I've had my ear to the ground with the Ontario education system enough to know what most of them mean by critical thinking. And they tend to they tend to say it means thinking really, really hard about something
7: yeah.
0: <laughs> or, or, or thinking about things maybe from a different perspective and, and whatnot. And it probably doesn't get a lot deeper than that. And obviously, when we talk about the philosophy uh, of critical thinking, uh, it's, it's much more involved than that. In his book, um, How to Be a Really Good Pain in the Ass.
3: Yeah, it's a great picture of him, too. He's got the book. And he's standing next to an ass. <laughs>
0: yeah. And uh, you know, given that we're on an audio podcast, not a video podcast, that ass is actually a donkey yes. and
3: <laughs>
0: somebody bent over.
3: It's yeah, uh, <laughs> wise yes, I didn't think of that.
0: It's wise <laughs> to, to specify. Yeah. So I mean he's um I mean he's literally written the book on it, and I'm sure the curriculum that he is he is Suggested and, and now is being implemented is is based on the core principles of that book. So anybody can sort of pick it up and probably see uh, where he's coming from. And believe me, that if, if we have high school students that are learning these principles, they're going to be better human beings. Absolutely. I mean, pure and simple, I mean, it's, it's as broad as that. I mean, to have a clarity of thought. Clarity in your thought, in your thinking, uh, is invaluable in every
3: pursuit. There was, um, there was a moment, uh, actually, you know, I was very proud to have gotten, you know, personal pride that I gotten to this point in life of understanding the difference between trying to turn your child's mind into your mind, <laughs> mm-hmm. and giving rather than giving them the tools, which is, I think, is what's important. Mm -hmm. To, as they get older, start making more and more of these um, choices and forming their own perceptions, their own views for themselves. Uh, In family court, I was asked by, um, well, it doesn't matter who, someone asked me if uh, I would refuse to let my daughter around religious people, for instance, go to church. And I said, of of course, I would not, uh, you know, keep her from doing that. Uh, My job, you know, even though I'm not a believer isn't to turn my daughter into a small version of me, you know, I will I will protect her from people who do things that are outrageous, obviously, but within the normal spectrum, she's going to be introduced to these things anyways. I just hope that I you know a good job as a parent, allowing her to make informed decisions as she gets older.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's respecting the individual, whether that individual happens to be related to you or not. Um, yeah, you, you you want to teach them how to think and not necessarily what to think. I mean, you can't help but influence, right? <laughs> I mean,
7: in
0: the in the what part, uh, but you should keep present to the fact that you're you should be teaching them how how to think, yeah, um, and and to be, you know, the, the value of, of challenging ideas. You know, I mean, I think it, it was interesting. sort of staying connected to the uh, the idea of the educational system, right? Yeah. Um, anybody that's 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 in Ontario and and part of it, whether they're uh, a parent or or whatever, and probably knows that there's a I don't know if they call it character education or it's it's something that falls under that category. And, and every month is identified as, as presenting a different value. Uh, so maybe that maybe the, you know, like just throwing one out, like so maybe September is the, the value of honesty. And then they'll have things that sort of creep into the curriculum over that month that tie into the value of honesty. Um, and, uh, I remember being part of, uh, uh, I happened to be in a Catholic elementary school uh, on the first day of the new school year. And I was there for the morning announcements and um, hearing the principal introduce the new year and, and the new month. And and um, it was presented. And I kind of can't remember if the, if the value was honesty or some, some other um, uh, value, but uh, she said that, you know, September is the Catholic value of honesty. And I thought that was sort of an interesting phrasing of it. Like somehow Catholics had sort of the, the corner, uh, the market cornered on, on this particular value, rather than it was a human value or something that all people should be aspiring to. How yeah. Catholics were doing it better or differently or something than the non-Catholics, which is just sort of an interesting phraseology. But um, in line with that, I was thinking, um, I, I don't know because I wasn't there at the beginning of every month, uh, in that school, but I wondered if if one of the months was was the the value of faith. You know, was that one of the the nine or ten values that they, they would have gotten in in a, in a school right. year, yeah. or, or you know. And it, wouldn't it be interesting in all schools if you had a, um, uh, which I think I'm a big proponent the, of, the value of I don't know. Yes. You know, I, I don't think that ever gets taught even tangentially uh, in schools. You know, I mean, you think schools, we, we we work toward tests. We want to get higher grades are better than lower grades. A's are better than C's, et etc. et cetera. It's all about evaluating what we know and not knowing is bad because obviously the more you don't know, the you know it coincides with a usually a a lower mark and, and and that's really how we evaluate the systems from the student perspective from a parental concern and from an educational concern we we evaluate that on that basis and I think it misses out um and sends sends the wrong message that we should be valuing from the earliest stages, the idea that we don't know stuff,
3: yeah, absolutely.
0: Because admitting that we don't know gives the opportunity to, uh, to pursue knowledge. Sometimes mm-hmm. we pretend we know stuff because there's such a value on knowing versus not knowing uh, that that it encourages false knowledge.
3: I love that stage that kids go through that torments everyone around them when they just go,
0: "Why?" You give mm-hmm. an answer, "Why?" <laughs> yeah, good thing we extinguished that as quickly as possible. That's right.
3: let to stop that. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that sounds like uh, already an awesome list of guests. Uh, Niagara Falls is also like a, a great location.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about having it hosted in in Niagara Falls this year. As you know, we had it in Toronto, our inaugural conference was in Toronto and then we we moved it to Kitchener which was a great place to hold it last year.
7: Yeah.
0: Um the idea was always to kind of move it around so it's, it was it was done with intent. Uh it's not that I've ever been dissatisfied with any particular venue or or city um partly because part of the mission of the, of the conference is to be as accessible uh to as many people as possible. Yeah. Uh, and I think it it helps if you move it around from that point of view. But um, if it, if it works out really well this year in, in Niagara Falls, there's a strong chance that I'll, I'll keep it in Niagara Falls for years to come. So
3: okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it is the place where Superman and Lois Lane went on their. Uh, I don't know, was it the American side or Canadian side that they went on their honeymoon?
0: <laughs> I, do, I don't know. I I, I, w- <laughs> I would imagine uh, imagine it was the American side, but you never know. The the Canadian side is much more picturesque. But
3: it's true, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I've had you for a couple hours. Uh, is there anything you uh, imparting you'd like to uh, leave people with? Um, I'll put links in the show notes, but you can let them know where to find you and your information.
0: Yeah, I mean, from our, from our, so just a, a practical point of view, there's, there's something that I would like to share. Um, I've always attempted to keep the ticket price as low as possible without uh, putting myself in an obvious position. Bankruptcy situation, right,
3: yes.
0: Um, uh, and there's a limit to how low I can keep that price. But one of yeah. one of the ways I've helped to keep it low is if you take advantage of uh, group pricing. I had group pricing for the first time last year uh, with some success, and um, with the right kind of promotion, I think people can take advantage of that. So right now, the regular ticket. Uh, is $159 and that gives you the full conference, uh, all the speakers. It gives you a ton of access with them. Um, It gives you a full buffet lunch and a buffet buffet dinner. So, I mean, you're... Yeah, food is great. Yeah, you're well taken care of throughout the day. You'll you'll want for nothing. I mean, and a bonus this year is the the conference hall is in the exact same location as the, the hotel that most people will be staying at. So, it'll be really easily and comfortable from that point Perfect. of view and just as a, an aside if you happen to stay at the uh the americana resorts and spa uh they have a huge water park so bring your kids <laughs> i've in. been to it it's great oh, have
7: you?
0: Yeah. yeah i haven't actually haven't uh been to the water park myself yet and i'm looking forward to uh spending those free passes because when you're a conference goer that 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 books a room there. You get nice. up to four free passes. So take advantage of that. Uh bring the whole family. Um and take your turns, pop it into the conference for different talks if you want to while the kids are, are uh, having fun at the pool and whatnot.
3: Yeah, that's great.
0: But the uh the group discount is is really good too. You're gonna save an average of about twenty dollars per ticket, uh by by buying in bulk. So that you know, you might want to talk to your Spouse and your your friend and your friend's spouse to uh, to go together and, uh, and
3: or skeptic groups. If you have like skeptic groups, anything like that, talk to each other. Who's all going to go? Again, let's all work together and form a group.
0: Well, and that's it. There's a ton of atheist, humanist, skeptics groups around Ontario in particular, and uh, and I and I know because obviously I, I receive all the information from all. Old ticket purchasers and uh you know there's multiple people from Sudbury going and tons of people from Toronto going and stuff like that. And uh sometimes they don't know that each other are going. So there's there's people that belong to sort of the, the same online atheist group uh that are going and buying tickets individually and as they sort of got together and, and chatted and uh realize that they could, they could probably save a little money by gathering small groups of five to go together.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I assume you're going to, maybe I should assume, but are you planning on continuing... Has um, years go by to offer the VIP tickets?
0: Yeah, the VIP ticket is available this year. then this uh, we had a reception last year as part of the VIP package. Uh, this year it'll be a, a full dinner so that's uh, oh wow. yeah, it'll be nice and it'll be a really nice dinner at the Americana the night before uh, with all the speakers and obviously you have greater access to them yeah. uh, more of a private situation. Um, sort of select VIP ticket holders and that same ticket gives you sort of front row seating uh, for the day of the conference too. So if you, if you want to get up close and personal uh, close to the stage and stuff like that, the the VIP ticket is the way to go.
3: Yeah. I had a VIP. I was lucky enough to have one last year and it was really nice. Um, I got to meet uh, all the speakers. Uh, I think all, all, I think all of them were there.
0: I I know I, I think, uh, I don't think Carolyn was there, but I think everybody, I think, Basically, everybody was there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, And you get to see very interesting interactions about uh, Mr. Deity tended to really gravitate to anyone who was talking about video equipment. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's when I first got to really see him, uh, just how kind, like a kind man he is. Like, he just loves talking to people. And he was actually, he's been on medication that really is difficult for his energy level. Mm -hmm. And he's a real trooper. Like, he's just constantly trying to connect with anyone who wants to talk to him the whole time. Um, And Lawrence Krauss, uh, it's very uh, stereotypical, but I expected him to be taller. We
0: all think our heroes are bigger, don't we? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you bring up a good point that um, in that environment, um, not so much a different side of them was presented than the the day of the conference. But I mean, the day of the conference is a bit business-like in the sense that, you know, they're there to give a particular speech. And the Q&A tends to be focused around stuff that got brought up during the talk, whereas the conversation the night before at the reception and this year at the dinner will be anything and everything. Like you said, video equipment, you know, um craft beer, uh, yeah. whatever. Uh politics, sports, uh, personalities, um, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that are I mean, it's 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 dinner table reception conversation, cocktail conversation. Um and you get to see a different side of the the speakers than you will the, the day after the day of the conference. So um yeah, definitely worth pursuing if you're interested in that. So, yeah, so we have we had the VIP. We've got, you know, the regular ticket, which gives you the full day. We've got uh, group discounts and we've got student discounts as well, like we did the year before. And I know there's a number of different student groups that are. We're uh, really interested in bringing a large group, so that's really exciting. Uh, it's always nice to have uh, a large contingent of educated young people there. Yeah, yeah. So it
3: sounds like it's gonna be great again this year.
0: Yeah, it's 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 budding to be the the best yet, and uh, I, th- I think this this will be the best venue that we've had um this will be the most fun city that we've been in as far as like tourist stuff to do in and yeah. around uh, yeah. the conference uh, and arguably the most interesting diversity of speakers that we've had so i think it's uh and very likely going to be the, the largest number of uh of attendees that we've had to date so that i think it, from all those points of view it'll be the most exciting Yeah,
3: if people want to check out these details are all on the, the website non-conference right Yep. So people can go check that out again. I'll have a link.
0: So, we're, yeah, we're the non-conference.com or on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, there's no excuse not to know about it. So, and, and find out about some of the details. And I'm pretty accessible too. So, if you have any individual questions to ask me, uh, my email is freely available on the website, and my phone number is freely available on the website. and. I do get random emails and phone calls about little minutiae questions of, around the conference and I'm happy to take all of those and answer them. So don't yeah. be shy.
3: Yeah, okay, so yeah, do yourself a favor and go become part of this. Uh, you, you won't regret it for a second. It's lots of fun. been
2: couldn't agree more.
7: It's not working.
2: Well, of course it's working. He heard you. How do you know? Because he promised.
3: Oh, so you have seen him then?
2: Well, no one has. Uh, At least no one alive.
7: Wait, so only dead people get to see him? And this makes sense to billions of you.